lift up your Bible and let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that your word has the power to change my life. I give heed to it, and I allow it into my ears, and in the, into my mind, and into my spirit. I am a hearer of the word, and a doer of the word, and I will never be the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. So I am... Um, I'm 42. I'll be 43 later this year. And so that gives me um, permission and excuse to have a midlife crisis. According to our society, anyway. It's about time. So when I was, um, when I was approaching 40, this has been a, a few years back, um, there's kind of that somewhat depending on how healthy you are and how long you plan on living, there's that midlife place where you kind of look at everything and you look back and you think about, okay, so what were my plans and what were my dreams and all that kind of stuff? And how many of you remember when you were like early teens, late 20s, like 40 was 87. It was like 93. You, you remember that? It was like you're, you're looking ahead, and then, and then now that I'm here, I'm like, wow, so it's like, I, like 20 was yesterday, and then when I'm 80, you know, I'm going to be like, man, I feel like 35. And so the, um, but you always, no matter where you're at in your life, you're looking back, and you're kind of, you're, you're judging, okay, so am, where am I right now, and, and am I where I hoped to be? And so I kind of look back in multiple areas of my life, and just can I be transparent? There were some areas that I was proud of. There were some areas that I, yep, I feel like I did well there. There were a lot of areas that I felt like I would have been a lot farther along uh, by now. And so it doesn't matter, you know, how old you are or where you're at in life. When you look back, I mean, you could, you could be 21, 22, and just think, wow, I wish, you know, I, I thought I would have accomplished so much more by now, and then those of us that are, you know, that are older kind of like smile and, uh, and realize how much it takes. No matter where we're at, we can look back and we can, and we can think, you know, I wish or I thought I would have been farther along. And so with me, you know, I, I just began to look at, so with my health and um, how, how often am I exercising and how am I eating? How do I feel? What does the scale say? What is my pants size, you know, all of those things, you know, and it was like, you know what, I, I really planned on being at a different place. And um, my family, you know what, ah, I wish I had, you know, in, in, my, in the past, I wish I had more date nights. I wish I had had more father-son times. Now, I'm, I'm happy, you know, and I'm, and I'm glad with what I did, but I wish I, I had been in a, you know, in a different place. And I'm kind of looking back spiritually, you know, I, I you know, there are some areas where, you know, once again, I don't care what your age is. When things don't go your way, you get to find out how mature you really are. I was a youth pastor for uh, for eight years, and you know, you've got sixteen year. How many of you are teenagers in the room? Raise your hand, guys. I have seen a seventeen year old go from seventeen to seven years old in two point three seconds when they didn't get what they wanted, when mom wouldn't let them do what they thought. 
It's like they're all, why don't you let me? Because I'm, I'm, I'm 17, I'm almost an adult. And it's like, really? Don't laugh, teenagers. Just remember. I was there. You've been there. I've seen it. And, and even us, us people that are, that are a little bit older, you know, I've seen some middle-aged people who really, when you don't get what you want, it's just total, I mean, you get to see, there's an old saying that when hot water is applied, you get to see what's really in the tea bag. Yeah? And so that applies for all of us. And there were some areas where I had gotten the hot water was applied, and I was not really happy with how I reacted with my true mature maturity in that area. And so uh, ministry, there are some things I wanted to accomplish that I had not, that I thought I would have financially. I, I wanted more money in retirement and investments. And I just had, I wasn't where I thought I would be. Uh, my business, I thought it would be farther along. Um, books that I have to, to write, books that I have in me, that I've got pieces and parts and different things like that, but just hadn't pushed through and done what <clears throat> I felt like I had on the inside of me to do travel and even the small things there, there are little things that in all honesty if I if I die and these things are not accomplished God's not going to haggle with me and he's not going to berate me at the you know at, at the gate and say why didn't you learn to surf which which by the way this last summer I did bite that off right there and so what you don't know is that is a really cool picture of me on a wave what you don't know is right after that I wiped out but I got this moment in time right there, just still. So that's, you know, so I've got, a, I've, I've got enough ego to brag about that. And so there are these little things even that you wish you accomplished that maybe you look back and you think, ah, oh, I wish I had been further along. And so you might have those times too. It's, maybe it's not just me. And as I'm talking, there are things in your life and things that you wish, you know, that over the past years, you'd been a better parent or a better spouse or or financially you had been more responsible or or that you had you had uh, pursued dreams a little bit more or a lot more passionately that you had given more time to those things and I'll tell you what um, one of the biggest things in life that steal from us uh, go go to I, I challenge each and every one of you volunteer in a nursing home and what you'll find and talk to people is, is the worst thing in life is regret. The worst thing in life is regret. And, and so I don't want to end my life with regret. And, and so at, you know, at uh, 30, in my late 30s, I just kind of looked at this and just thought, you know what? God, help me because what got me here today is not going to get me where I want to go tomorrow. If I just keep doing the same thing, if I just keep having the same mentalities, if I just keep the same maturity level that I have now, the same hustle and the same work ethic that I have now, I'm going to be in the same place. And I'm not okay with that. And so um, I'm big on self, uh, self-evaluation and just self-awareness and looking at, so let's look in the mirror, no matter how painful it is, of where I'm at right now. Where am I at right now? Just, well, I won't. Um, but there's a guy in the Bible that I learned a lot from. His name is Gideon. And, in, uh, and so let me kind of set up the story of Gideon for you. Gideon, or before we, we meet Gideon, what happens with the children of Israel is that they 
have this cycle that goes on over hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years where everything's good, everything's worshiping God, everybody's worshiping God and everything's good, and then they forget God and they begin to worship idols. They, they forget Him and they begin to take on the idols of the neighbors and the, and the other people that are around them. And they forget who was good to them. They forget who their, uh, their heavenly father was. And they begin to worship other gods and they begin to slip into sin. And so God sends prophets and he sends people to warn them and just let them know, hey, this is not good. The end is not well. And so um, they end up, a lot of times they'll kill the prophets. They ignore the prophets. They do everything. They chain the prophets up. Uh, at, at different times, and so they ignore the prophets, and then other people, the, the people from other lands begin to conquer them, or different things happen, and, uh, and so they, because of their uh, disobedience, and they walk away from God, God is not able to protect them and, and empower them, and so uh, then what happens is, after the people, then they get conquered, or awful, horrible things happen, and then they bounce back, oh yeah, God, and they cry out to God, and they begin, to, they begin to worship God again, and they get rid of all the idols and everything. And then, after everything's good for a while, they forget. And it cycles back around again, and again, and again, and again. It, it gets to be, like, monotonous, like, oh my gosh. How many of you ever met people whose lives are like that? Some of us, and, and in fact, probably all of us can find places in our lives where it's like that where it's like over and over and over. And so, um, so this is what's happening with the children of Israel. And so at this place where Gideon is introduced, what happens is Israel was being suffocated by the surrounding armies. And so there are, there are two main people that are around, and what they'll do is they will come in, and they come into to, um, the land, and they wipe out all the crops, and they wipe out all the, the flocks and the herds and everything. And so Israel at this point is starving. They're being suffocated by the people around them because they have turned from God. And they began to, um, to, they forgot about God in their life. And so the angel of the Lord shows up and visits Gideon. And so Gideon is this whiny, negative, cowardly man who he's grinding, he, he's, he's basically grinding um, wheat, and he's hiding in a wine press doing it so that these surrounding armies won't find him. And so he's, he's doing that, and the angel of the Lord, which in the Old Testament is always Jesus incarnate, so it's Jesus before he had an earthly body, is the angel of the Lord when you hear that. He's the only angel that would ever allow people to worship him in the Old Testament. And so, um, so this is... This is um, because of that, no other angel, you find other angels where people tried to worship them and they're like, uh-uh, I'm not God, I'm just a servant. This angel, that, what they call the angel of the Lord, see, he didn't have the name Yahweh yet, he didn't have the name uh, Jesus yet, so they called him the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord, Jesus himself, shows up to this guy Gideon. Spoiler alert. In the end, I'm going to describe Gideon to you now, but in the end, Gideon becomes this mighty warrior who delivers Israel from all of these surrounding armies, and he defeats an army that's described as as numerous as locusts, innumerable. This giant. Have you ever seen Lord of the Rings and the and the big, 
the, the huge you know, armies that you look at it and you're like, wow, it was something like that. He destroyed them with 300 men. This is this man of valor, this man of might, this man of courage. But when we find him in the beginning, he's hiding, he's preparing food in hiding from the surrounding armies. And so the angel of the Lord shows up, Judges 6.11. Let's read it. What, what got, got Gideon where he was this day is not what got Gideon where he wanted to be and where he ended up. Judges chapter 6 and verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Oprah, which belonged to jo, uh, Joash the Asbarite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. Now the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, uh, now listen to what he says to this guy. He's hiding, he's making his food in hiding of, of the people around. And he says to them, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Flashback to last week. Did you know that God views us differently than we view ourselves? Jesus shows up and he calls him something that seems like, like, so are you seeing the same thing I'm seeing? And then Gideon opens his mouth and proves it. This immediately, so this guy, he doesn't know that he's the angel of the Lord yet. This guy just shows up and says, what's up? The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. And Gideon replies immediately, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles in which our father told us about? Did not the Lord bring us from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. I have something on the inside of me that was given to me by God, I believe. And that is a huge animosity for whining. What's up, mighty man of valor? If God is with us, then why is all this happening? And why is, why is not God with us? And didn't he do a bunch of good things for other people, but he hasn't done it for us? And he immediately begins to whine. <clears throat> and so um, God, listen to what the angel of the Lord, he totally ignores it. He ignores his statement about him. Or actually, Gideon ignores the angel of the Lord and just begins to whine. And so, um, if you're wanting to change where you're at from right now, and you're just thinking, well, I've done well, or maybe I haven't done well, but you want to do something different. You want to take a step up. You, wanna, you, you want to do amazing, great things for God. Remember, I don't think God has small callings and large callings. Do you think Gideon had a big calling? The angel of the Lord, like Jesus, showed up and immediately finds him this whiny, complaining, negative coward, fixing his food, preparing his food and hiding. And he says, mighty man of valor, God's with you. Here's what I wonder. All the times that God showed up and called people to great things, Moses and Joshua and Gideon and all, and Paul kicked him off a horse, blinded him and called him to the ministry, all these things. I wonder it probably wouldn't make for good stories or anything, but I wonder how many people God went through and said the same thing to before he found Gideon, before he found Moses, before he found... How many people did, did, had a calling on their life that were huge, that was huge, but the person themselves weren't, they, they weren't huge? 
on the inside that had nothing to do with how God made them and who God made them to be, but it had everything to do with how they saw themselves. Gideon saw himself as a victim. Why? Why is all this happening to me? When you complain, you make yourself into a victim. When you complain, you make yourself into a victim. So no matter what the circumstances are, if somebody else is is responsible for them or whatever, the moment that you begin to complain, which has no positive force in it whatsoever, you become the victim. And listen, if you're fine with where you're at, if you're happy with where you're at and you're not complaining, great. You do you. It's all good. I'm extremely happy for you. And there are areas in my life that I'm not, that I'm happy with. I'm I'm not dissatisfied with them. I feel like I've done really well at, and that's great. But can I, just for a second, and and I'll get down off my soapbox and off your toes and my toes and, and all that in just a second. To those of us who complain, I don't have enough time for this, or I don't have enough money to do that, and, and it's complaining. Or this person is doing this and it's affecting me this way. To all of us who complain on a regular basis about not having enough time, but yet we binge watch Netflix, let me speak to us, including me, collectively, so it's not offensive. Shut up. Micah, shut up. I don't have time. I don't have time to do that. Really? Let's look at your Netflix queue. I'm just saying. I think the average American watches uh, four hours of television a day. Sorry. How much time do you spend scrolling worthless Facebook posts looking for something? that might entertain you or might interest you collectively to us all including myself shut up with the complaining that um, you know I don't have enough money but then we're out to eat all the time don't have a budget we're just kind of winging it and doing the best we can collectively to us all shut up Stop complaining that you don't have enough money when we're not being faithful with what we have. Gideon is hiding. He's doing nothing to actually alleviate the issue except for complaining. Philippians 2.14 says, Do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent. Listen, if you are complaining, you are not blameless or innocent. Be quiet and do something about it. We're going to talk about what to do about it in a minute. But the first step is stop complaining. I would challenge you for one, try not to complain. Which, And to define complain is to express dissatisfaction or annoyance at any event or situation in your life. I just want to challenge you for one stinking day. Don't complain about anything. Don't complain. It does absolutely no good. There's a statement we have on mission trips where there is, don't state the obvious. It's hot. 
I mean, even know it was hot yesterday. It's hot. Shut up. We know. Do you see the beads of sweat rolling off my head? I know it's hot. It doesn't do anything to help. Is that going to help? Is AC going to, you know, miraculously appear out of the air and follow you around? No. Shh. James 1, 2 through 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, strength, courage. Count it all joy when you have various types of trials. Can I tell you something? I really believe this with all of my heart on the inside, that adversity is a much underappreciated strength-building tool. When I go to the gym and I'm working out with a certain amount of weight, at some point, that weight is not as heavy as it used to be. Now, the truth is it's the same weight that it was before. I've just gotten stronger. My goal in strength training is not to get as much weight off of me as possible. Whenever something doesn't feel as heavy anymore, what do I do? You add weight. Why? It's not rocket science. Why do I add weight? Because I want to get stronger. So in life, we're all doing our best to get away from the weight. No more, just if I could just alleviate my life of stress, then I would be a stronger person. Wait, let me go back. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, strength, endurance. Let me say it again. Adversity is a much underappreciated strength-building tool. I remember... There was this... There, I was at the gym one time, and there was this lady and her husband must have guilted her into coming with a trainer or something like that but everything that they did they're just kind of around me and they're cycling around the machines that are around me and it's like this is so heavy gosh wow and the strength and the trainer's kind of like okay well let's lower it a little bit oh this is this is uncomfortable and it's like i'm not sure you're you know, do you do you want to? She did not want to be stronger. She did not want to advance. She, that was not her purpose. She got guilted into this or she got forced into this or something. But she, <clears throat> this was not what something that was a desire of her heart. And I tell you, if it's a desire of your heart to be stronger, to be better, so that you can reach out to other people, um, you know what? Financially, I want to be financially sound so I can be a blessing to other people. If I'm strapped constantly and I can barely pay my bills, I see opportunities that I could reach out and be strong in a situation. Now I've got to think about me in addition to trying to wrestle thinking about them. That's not the situation I want to be. Emotionally, if I'm just trying to survive emotionally, please like me, like me, because I'm not sure I like myself, and, and, I, and I need your acceptance in order to feel good about myself, and I need somebody to fulfill me. Guess what? When I see somebody in need emotionally, guess what I'm constantly balancing? My need for acceptance 
versus how much do I have to give to them? Because did I t- can I tell you that wounded people wound people? And if we want to be ministers and we want to be God's light and God's hands and God's feet to other people, you're going to get wounded. But if you're, all, if you're insecure and you're, and you're not strong and you haven't worked through situations like this where you have had various kinds of trials in any area, emotionally, financially, health-wise, in every area, you're going you're gonna to constantly be trying to balance your ability to be accepted and be loved and, and be fulfilled with, um, with what you have to give to other people. If I reach out to help somebody and they lash out at me, it's good. I, don't, I love them and I want them to like me, but I don't need them to like me. Starting to meddle in. Never, however, even though adversity is a much underappreciated strength-building tool, never accept adversity. Well, I just let, you know, God called us to suffer, so I'm just going to sit here and suffer. It's adversity. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about appreciate the strength that it brings you so that you can overcome it. And the next thing, the next time somebody says something mean about you, it water off a duck's back because I, I know who I am in Christ, and it's all good. Wow, that hurt a little bit, but it's not, it's not like I can't sleep at night. At that point, we'll stop complaining. Complaining is an insult to God and his promises to you. I don't know if I should say this. This is going to be mean. I apologize ahead of time. The only people that, com- that care when you complain, the only people that really care, a lot of us go like this, oh, I'm sorry. When you habitually complain, anybody know any habitual complainers? Now, every now and then, somebody's got a bad day. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, oh, gosh, here they come. I'm going to hear about how bad everything is. The only person that actually cares when you complain, when you're that person, is other people that habitually complain. All right, that was mean. I apologize. I shouldn't have said it. It didn't go very well. All right. So, anyway, the angel of the Lord is sitting there with him. So, first of all, stop complaining. Stop it. And it's easy. Just do this. That's the first step. Internal complaining is the next step. The first step is shut your mouth. The angel of the Lord ignores his whining, totally ignores the complaining. And he says in verse 14, Then the Lord turned to him and said, he just got through saying, Why, 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 why? And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours. He totally like ignores what he... That's going to be a new strategy of mine for complainers. Just didn't even hear it. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. I Have I not sent you? Like, have you, did you hear the same thing I just heard? He's a coward. He's fixing his food in hiding and whining and complaining the whole time. And God says, Go in this might of yours, and you will save Israelite from everybody. Or you will save Israel from the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, O Lord, can, uh, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest, and I am the least in my father's house. Really? It continues. It's habitual. 
This guy is negative Nelly all day long. Not only is he complaining, but he is identifying with his circumstances. He's self-identifying with his circumstances and where he's at. How am I going to save Israel? I have the I have the least tri- I'm in the least tribe, and I'm the I'm the youngest in my family. I got nothing going for me. Can I tell you that your position right now has nothing to do with your potential? Your position in your circumstances has absolutely nothing to do with your potential to do what God's called you to do. Nothing. And there are people all through history, I won't go through all of the people in history that started in a place that that there was no reason whatsoever that they should come out of that and be the amazing world changer that they were. Gideon was the weakest of his clan and he was the youngest in his house before remember I gave you the spoiler alert this man was amazing he defeated an innumerable an army that was as innumerable as locust with 300 men that's who this guy turned out to be can I tell you that after he did that he was still in the weakest tribe and he was still the youngest in his family what he couldn't see is it had nothing to do with his success In his mind, it was the thing that was holding him down. It was the thing that was pushing him back. It had absolutely nothing to do. He couldn't see what God could see on the inside of him. All he could do was see what society around him, what his family, what his own self-thought was holding him in. That's the only thing that he could see. So how do we see ourselves that where we kind of give ourselves excuses by the position that we're in or the circumstances that we're, that we're in. Stop making yourself a victim by the circumstances. God did not care what circumstances he was in. He did not care that he was the least tribe, that he was the least in his family. He totally did not care. Daniel was a slave when he worked his way up as a head of all the seers and the medians in Nebuchadnezzar's, um, in, in the Babylon kingdom. He was a captive. He didn't care. Jesus, Jesus' entire ministry was done under Roman occupation. If another country came and took over America and, and, um, and occupied us, that's where Jesus had his ministry, and he never... He, he never addressed the fact that they were under occupation. It didn't hinder them. He didn't care. Everybody else cared and thought, oh, but we're being, we're being oppressed by the Romans. Jesus never even addressed it. They talked to him about, about taxes. He says, give to Caesar what's Caesar and give to God what's God's. He, he never, at one point, they showed up with, well, I, I don't have time to go down that road, but, but you are not limited. Paul tells Timothy in Timothy 2.9, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer. In other words, he was suffering as a criminal, even to the point of chains, but the word of God is not chained. He was in jail, and he said, yes, I am suffering like a criminal, but that has nothing to do with my potential to minister. He was in jail, unfairly put in jail, has nothing to do with my potential. And how many times do we look around us and think, well, but yeah, I only have this job. And yeah, I can only get that job. Where I'm only this old. 
or I mean fill in the blank stop identifying with your circumstances identify with who God has called you to, to be now we let's go on the angel once again He's, a, he's a, but I'm the least, and I'm, he's, so he's complaining and whining again. He's identifying with the circumstances until, unle, un, instead of who God told him he was. The angel ignores him again. He just totally ignores him. I like this strategy for, for whiners. And the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. So what happens here is Gideon, He said, so that I know that it's you, let me prepare an offering for you. And Gideon goes home, he prepares an offering, and he brings it back to, and the angel touches it with his staff, and it's consumed by fire. The angel disappears, and then the angel just disappears. And then Gideon totally freaks out because he realizes this is the angel of God. And he says, uh, and, and he's, he's afraid. He's like, I've seen the face of God and he's afraid he's going to die. And the angel still speaks to him, even though he's disappeared. He still says, peace be with you. Don't fear. You're not going to die. It's all going to be okay. Peace be with you. And then in verse 25, it says, Now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull, the second bull of the seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the wooden image that's beside it and build an altar, altar to the Lord on top of this rock with proper arrangement and take the second bull and offer it as a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image that you'll cut down so Gideon took the men so basically he tells them cut down get rid of the altars that your father has um, how many of you know that he could that the youngest son is going to go in and he's going to tear down the gods that dad has put up so Gideon um, took 10 men from among the servants and did as the Lord said to him but because he was afraid of his father's household and the men of the city he did it at night so he's still afraid he's still this coward but God told him to do something so even though he's afraid he does it anyway Gideon obeyed even though it would cost him he knew it was going to, you know, and so he's trying to hide it, and even if he's still afraid. So what happens is the city is ticked. So evidently his dad built this altar in the entire city for the city, so he's pretty important. And so the city is ticked, and they do some research, and they find out that it's Gideon. And they show up at his house demanding that his dad bring him out so that they can kill him. So we don't hear anything from Gideon. He's in the basement hiding again. He's hiding again uh, somewhere. But we don't, we don't know what's going on, but we don't hear anything from him. But Joash's dad comes out, and he, he basically says, um, would you go ahead and plead to Baal? If, if Baal's angry, let Baal kill him. But nobody's coming to my house to kill my son. Daddy's taken up for him. We don't hear anything from Gideon. We just hear Daddy going, you're not taking my son. Listen, even if you're afraid, the, the, the angel of the Lord said, fear not. And fear is not something that you need to have in your life. But some of us are not all the way there yet. And there's a process. But so many times we're waiting to take action until we're not afraid. I don't think you, need to, you, need to, you don't need to be okay with your fear. You need to overcome that. But until then, move forward. Number three, move forward even if you're afraid. 
don't fear. But if you're not there yet, move forward. Obedience, listen, obedience is better than a lack of fear. But I'm scared. What will people say? What will people think? What will people do? I don't know. You want tithe? You want me to give 10%? I can't afford to give 10%. I'm afraid. What happens if? I don't know. I don't know. I'm afraid. I don't know. He was obedient even at his own cost. I wonder how many people, once again, God had to ask who would not be, who God revealed himself and had to ask that just wouldn't obey that wouldn't do it. How many times have I been that person that God asked, hey, I want you to step out and I want you to do this. But what will people say? But what if I fail and people see me? But, 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 how many times has that been me? How many times has that been you? You know what? We need to get to work. Stop complaining. Stop identifying with our circumstances and realize God that God doesn't give a rip about your circumstances. He called tons of people out of awful circumstances to do amazing things in spite of all ignoring the circumstances. Why can't that be me? Why can't that be you? The great poet and theologian Michael Jackson said, if you want to make the world a better place, Take a look at yourself and make a change. Stop complaining. If you want to make the world a better place, start with you. Well, but what they're doing affects me. Mm -hmm. Ignore. Change you. Work on you. So then in verse 37... Gideon obviously changed some things about himself. We're not sure how long it was after the whole daddy defended him thing. But later in verse 35, Gideon obviously had changed some things and had, this had clicked with him because what he was doing before would not get him to where he would go. Later on, the Midianites and the Amalekites, the people, the 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 um, tribes that were around that were attacking them, they got together again to wipe out all of the, the crops and the, and the flocks. And in verse 34, listen to what it says, but the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew the trumpet, and the Azraelites gathered behind him, and he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who would also gather behind him. So he sent messengers to all over the, all over the land, and they came to meet with them as an army of 30,000 people. So this guy who was afraid, hiding in daddy's house, cut down the, got rid of the altars at night so that nobody, so nobody would know, and then hid in daddy's house. Somewhere along the line, the things that, that God just totally ignored and kept telling him different. And yeah, I know, I know you're whining, but you're going to do this. I know that you're the least, but you're a mighty man of valor. All these things, somewhere it clicked. And one day, it might have been years later, what he changed. Something changed on the inside of him. And he called, this fearful man called together all the men of Israel to go and to fight. 
And they won and they delivered their people. And, and God was God again in Israel. But it had to change. What got me where I'm at today is not going to get me where I need to be tomorrow. So I want to challenge you one day. Don't complain. See what that feels like. Just one day. See how hard it is. Maybe you'll get in, uh, you know, maybe, because here's what happened to me. I realized how much I was actually complaining. When I had to mark it down, oop, and I made a tally. Caught myself, mark it. Caught myself, that was much longer than I thought it was. Stop identifying with your circumstances. Identify one circumstance that you think has held you back. Identify one circumstance that you think, I'm dyslexic. I'm too young. I'm too old. What is one circumstance in your life? I, don't, I was born with, you know, my parents. I, w I was abused. All these things are things to overcome. But are you identifying with it and allowing it to limit you. Find one thing in your life. And then here's what I want you to do. I want you to find somebody, research and find somebody else that had that same issue that overcame. That pulled themselves out of that. That 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 had that God totally ignored. Yeah, I know, but I'm gonna use you. And then find that one thing that you're afraid of, that you're terrified of. Maybe you haven't overcome the fear in that area yet and move forward, take a step forward on that. Take a step forward on that. Move forward because what got you where you're at today is not gonna get you where you wanna be tomorrow. If you'll stand, I just wanna pray over you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just thank you for this congregation of overcomers. I thank, you, I thank you that you have called each and every one of us to impact the world around us in a huge way. And I thank you that you continually bring to our heart the, the mighty men and women of valor that you see us to be. And remind us that complaining doesn't do anything, that, that our uh, circumstances does not limit us that we're going to move forward with who you've called us to be even in the midst sometimes of fear in Jesus name now if you're here also and as I've been talking we're talking about God and what God can do in our lives and our relationship with God and so if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with God look I'm not going to bring it up in front of everybody and embarrass you but I just I want to pray with you. We want to pray with you as a family. Um, and so with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're here today and you know that you know what? I need to get things right with God. I'm not right with God, but that, that mighty man of valor thing, that's what I want on the inside of me. If you're here today and you need to get things right with God, I just want you to slip your hand up right now. That's you. Just slip your hand up. Just put it up so I can see it. See that? Right on there. Proud of you. Who else? You know, don't leave here. 
this is a moment in time where God is tugging on your heart. It's a fork in the road. Who else? We, we have uh, a new brother in the house today. And uh, yeah. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going um, to lead you in a prayer. And we're all going to pray that prayer along with you. And, but this is, not, this is not a bunch of magical words that if you say it, some, you know, that, uh, that, that something happens. Listen, what this is is simply your commitment to God. And Jesus came. We're all lost in sin. And so Jesus came and led a sinful life. And the price for my sin is death and hell. The price for Jesus' perfect life that he lived is a relationship with the Father in heaven. And it's as simple as that, is it's a trade. Jesus rose from the dead and he said, I'll tell you what, I paid for your sin. And um, I would like to trade you. I've already paid for your sin and you can have what I earned, which is a relationship with God in heaven. And so if you give me your whole life, I'll give you my whole life. And so that's simple, it's a commitment that yep, I give you my life. And so as we pray this prayer today, that's simply what you're doing is you're giving God your life, you're committing to it. Um, it. It is a commitment, it's like marriage, it's forever. And so as we pray this, just pray this with me and we're all gonna pray with you together. And as you do that, you just commit in your heart and, uh, and God will enter you. Um, his, he'll give you his Holy Spirit and you'll be a child of God, amen? All right, pray with me. Father, I believe that your son Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose again. Jesus, I accept that trade. I take your life and all the benefits and I give you my life and I thank you for paying for all my sin. I repent of all my sin and I pursue you with everything that I have. I'll never leave you know you'll never leave me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, let's give it up for our new brother.